listening to The Journey Podcast. The Journey is a college and young adult ministry of South Crest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Y'all give it up for our God and King Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, hey, so glad that you guys are, are here again. We are starting a brand new series tonight, which is appropriate because it's the first night of Tuesday night gathering. Um, it is called I Am, plain and simple. It is right there. Good job, media team, killing it. Um, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And we are going to be starting in verse 48. John chapter 8, verse 48. So by raise of hand, I'm always going out on a limb here when I make an older movie reference um, for you Generation Z family. Um, a raise of hand, how many of you have seen the movie Sandlot? Oh, thank goodness. I was like, this could just flop, but y'all know the movie. Okay, so um, premise of the movie Sandlot, uh, this kid that they nicknamed Smalls, right? New kid in town. He knows nothing about baseball, nothing whatsoever. Um, but he sees other guys playing baseball. And you, know, you remember the scene where they hit the ball to him and he can't throw it back? Remember that? And he takes the baseball, he runs it all the way back and, and all the guys are like, what's going on? Right? He says, That's a little nostalgia for you. All right, setting up where I'm going. But probably one of the funniest things that I remember <clears throat> is that there's a scene where Porter, kind of the short, fat, redheaded kid, is kind of like this. And can I hear me real quick? Can I hear me real quick? Okay. And he, he's sitting there. Right, and they're kind of all, he's trying to act cool. He's like, I'm the great Van Vino. I'm the great Van Vino. And I'm like, what? I'm the great Van Vino. Can't understand it, right? He goes, I'm the great Bambino, right? And then there's Porter, right? And then Smalls over here, he does not have a bat. He just doesn't hit him, okay? Um, he goes, who's that, right? And they're like, what? You don't know who the great Bambino is? Like, the Colossus of Clout. And the twin brother goes, the Colossus of clout, right? He, 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 and then the, the, the titan of terror, the great Bambino, Babe Ruth. They're like, oh, I thought you said the great Bambi, right? Y'all remember that? Y'all tracking with me? Okay, so as the, the movie watcher, you're like, you know he's lying. Like, he does not know who the great Bambino is. Uh, so you fast forward in the story. Can I, I should probably put this down. I mean, we've been walking around. Here we go. Sorry, I, I'm just going to try. Anyway, so you fast forward in the movie. Um, don't fast forward, watch the whole thing. But in a further scene, what, what happens is that they, one of them hits the ball, they, they lose it, they're like, what are we gonna do? And Smalls comes to the rescue, right? He's like, hey, I, I have a baseball back home, right? Remember, he doesn't know who the great Bambino is. So he runs home, right, gets the baseball, comes back, yay, Smalls, awesome. Hey, because you brought the ball, you get to bat, right? So he gets, oh, I do need the bat again, check this out. I'm a lefty, let's pretend he's a lefty, all right? So, um, I don't know how he did it. He wasn't good at baseball, but for some reason, because it's a movie, Smalls gets it, all right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna torque that back hip a little bit, you know, so I can get a good pull, right? He gets, the, he gets the ball and just cling, right? And it actually went over there. Let's pretend it went over there. And the ball goes over the fence, right? Home run. It's amazing. Everyone's celebrating, right? Except for who? Smalls. Smalls is not celebrating. You know why? Because he didn't know why the baseball was important, but he knew that it was. It shouldn't be lost. It was his stepdad's baseball. And he doesn't even get around the base. And Porter's like, Smalls, you got to go to first base, right? And then Smalls like, oh, what's going on? Everyone else is amazing. They look to him like, what's wrong, bro? They come in. He's like, guys, you don't understand this baseball is really important. It's like it was signed by someone. What's this? Um, Ruth. 
baby Ruth. And they go, babe Ruth, right? Oh, what's going on? What adds to that story? Y'all still with me? <laughs> it's very obvious what happened. He didn't know who Babe Ruth was, the great man being of the Colossus of Cloud, the Titan of Terror. So he gladly takes the baseball out of the stepdad's room and trophy case and actually plays baseball with it, an authentic Babe Ruth baseball. It's insane. He could only do that. He could only have such a mishandling with such a valuable thing because he had no idea who the great Bambino was, who Babe Ruth was, which is arguably the most legendary baseball player ever to live. A strikeout king for sure, but most legendary, I would argue. So where am I going with this? Introduced tonight's series, I am. I have a suspicion. And my suspicion is, is that many people are rejecting Jesus. Many people don't know anything about Jesus. Jesus might as, be, might as well be what the great Bambino was to Smalls before he figured it out. They don't know. So the way Smalls handled that baseball so kind of flippantly and carelessly as if it had no meaning or, or purpose in his life, as if it wasn't important and weighty and was just willing to take a baseball bat and hit it over a fence with no care in the world, it's because he didn't know the importance of it. And I think, my suspicion is, as a lot of people handle Jesus, they dismiss him, they don't believe in him, they criticize his words. Even Christians in the church today don't allow those words to have the weight that they're supposed to have. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, if you're a Christian, for sure. Ultimately, he is anyway, even if you believe him or not. And so my theory is, there's a question that we need to answer tonight as we start this I Am series. And that question is, who is Babe Ruth? No, just joking. The question is, who is Jesus? Who is he? What is it about Jesus' identity that would give him the authority oh my goodness, in 2021, to tell you how to live, to basically, for almost all of us, say, no, you don't be you. Like, <laughs> you, you have some things you need to do and reconcile that actually are all about me. Who is Jesus? Y'all interested in answering that question tonight? Okay, that's good. Ten of you are ready. I'm so glad I prepared. The rest of you, there's some more Chick-fil-A sandwiches if you are still hungry. All right, John chapter eight. I'm just kidding, please stay. That would make me cry. All right, John chapter eight. Jumping in, verse 48. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are Samaritan and have a demon? I'm gonna kind of explain this as we go. And so what's been happening up till now, there's been this intellectual debate back and forth. And by Jews, people of Israel, this could mean religious leaders. It could mean Pharisees, scribes. It could mean philosophers. It could mean common people as well. That's why John just says in general, Jews. And so you can kind of picture Jesus is collectively being teamed up on by people who are constantly grilling him. And earlier in John 8, you should check it out later. Oh, Earlier in John 8, it starts as an intellectual argument, and then now what's happening is like, you are a Samaritan and you have a demon. Now, for a Jew to call someone a Samaritan would be like someone to call me white trash, all right? It's not derogatory. They, they, they'd say, like, you grew up in a trailer, didn't you? That's exactly what it would be. That's how it would translate. So they're not calling him just someone from another ethnicity or people group. Like, they're saying, you're, you're the white trash of, of Jews, and you have a demon. So what they're doing is they're trying to, they're not in the intellectual debate. They're doing a lot of what we do in 2021. We disagree with someone, let's attack them as a person. They're trying to cancel Jesus. They're trying to attack him. Verse 49, I do not have a demon, this is Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. So here's the thing. Of course, if someone accuses you of having a demon, Jesus is 
pretty smart, and even a dumb person would, would deny that, all right? If someone tells you that, please deny that, all right? So why did he answer this way? He says in verse 50, yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Jesus is saying, listen, you can't accuse me of being a demon because my every words and my every action are exactly portraying the image of God that he called me to display. You can't find fault in me. You listen to my words and you haven't found fault. You don't like my words, but I'm honoring the Father with everything I'm saying. Truly, truly, verse 51, when Jesus says truly, truly, he's about to say something mind-blowing. I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you, see, you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Now, listen, if someone promised you, hey, if you drink out of this cup of water, you're never gonna die. Would anyone believe that in this room? Okay, cool, that, that's good. The correct answer was yes. It's not a trick question, I promise. Someone does that, be like, call the cops on them or something like that. Or we got big Jeremy in the back. Y'all just let him know if anyone does that, okay? So obviously, that was gonna raise some flags. Like you're saying, if you hold my word, if you do something that is in relation to me, I can promise you that you'll never die. So that raises a red flag. And then verse 52, they're like, we know you have a demon. And, and who do they reference that must be the evidence that he's wrong? They reference Abraham, right? Why is that? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. Okay, anyway. Um, so the Jews, the Israelites, the people of Israel, their spiritual father, the father of the faith, the one who received the, the covenant that God gave and the promise that through you, um, your offspring is gonna bless all the peoples of the earth. They reference back to Genesis 12, the covenant God made with them. Like Abraham is a big deal. To them, he, he could even be labeled, even though I would say it's a little off the, the founder of their faith. And they're like saying, even Abraham didn't promise that sort of thing. Are you greater than him and are you older than him? So check this out. Who do you make yourself out to be? The NIV says it like this. Who do you think that you are, Right? Modern language, they're like, who the heaven do you think you are, right? <laughs> That's what they're looking at. They're serious. They're angry, they're mad, and they're very pointed. They wanna know, what in the world are you talking about? We've had some weird stuff. This is topping everything you've said, and we're not feeling good about it. Verse 54, Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. There's lots of different things he could be talking about, but I thought of this. When Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, he was not like Southern Baptist Church Baptist, all right, John the Baptist, um, to fulfill all righteousness, he allowed him to be baptized, and guess what? At that time, you heard the voice of the Father, and the Holy Spirit said, descended like a dove, probably not a real dove, and, it, and the voice of the Father said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And so we know already earlier in Jesus' ministry, the Father has already clearly glorified him. I have to assume that the voice was audible to at least some extent where other people heard it. So that may be one thing that he's saying. And by the way, it's a really cool scene because you have the fullness of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit all in one scene and what he may be referencing. But other, otherwise, he's basically saying, hey, listen, my Father is gonna glorify me eventually and we're gonna see that and the rest of the story and the cross and the resurrection. But he says, verse 55, here's the real issue. He says, you have not known him. He's saying to these Jews, you have not known him. I know him. 
If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. So Jesus has just said two things about the Jews who think that the, probably the only thing that the Jews have, especially after Babylonian and Assyrian captivity, is at least they know God. Like, that's it. They've been stripped to nothing. They're under Roman rule right now. Like, if, if you want a reference for this, a good visual, check out that series called The Chosen, just to get a visual for this. Like, the, the, the Jews are not a happy people right now, but the one thing they can say is, like, we're God's people. And Jesus says to them, you don't even know the one thing you think you have. He says, and by saying that you do, you're a liar. Jesus is basically saying, I don't need to explain myself because you're full of lies anyway and you don't even know the God we're talking about. It'd be like me trying to argue with one of you engineering students. Like, don't waste your time, guys. I don't know what I'm talking about, right? Just be like, dude, he's an idiot. Just move on, all right? That's what's happening here. They know nothing of God. Verse 54 Sorry, verse 55. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Okay, very interesting. Back in verse 51, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone does what? Keeps my word. Now he's saying these words again. I keep his word. You know why he says that? Why is there the word that Jesus gives and the word the Father gives? Because Jesus and the Father are one. Their will is one. They're united. The Father decrees the Son accomplishes, the Holy Spirit applies. They're all together, they're in unity, they're in one. They said, you should know the fullness of God from your Old Testament scriptures and you do not know him. But I do, and I keep his word. Up at that time, the New Testament hadn't been written. So you know what Jesus is talking about? He's talking about the law. He's talking about the very books that they had access to and could go and read and hear in the temple every Sabbath day. So you don't know what you're talking about. Verse 56 your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and it, and he was glad. So a question I have, I'm over to the notes because there's some kind of heady stuff right here. How did Abraham rejoice that he would see Jesus's day, all right? Is it in the heavenly space that Abraham is in? Is he looking down and like, yay, Jesus? Is he thinking about the promises that were given to him long ago? Is there, are they referencing this? Are they referencing whenever God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, his only son, on the altar, and then God would provide a ram in the thicket of the fence to be that sacrifice for sins? Like, what is Jesus referring to? So let me, let me help you out. Here's some, here's some theories that I think are informed by men much smarter than me. And so, if you look at Genesis chapter 17, verse seven, God promised Abraham offspring that would culminate. In other words, it would be fulfilled ultimately in an everlasting covenant. It's almost the language of like, God will be among you. That's what's happening with Jesus. And look, Galatians chapter 316 confirms this. It says the offspring that Abraham was promised was fulfilled in Christ. And so we don't know how, but we do know that when Abraham, you remember when, when him and Sarah were laughing whenever they got the promise of a, of a son? Y'all remember they're like, ha, ha, that's funny. Some commentators were like, maybe there was some joy in that, thinking God is unbelievable. This is crazy. You're gonna promise me this? And he never saw it with his own eyes. But I think that when Abraham saw God provide that sacrifice, when he asked him to sacrifice Isaac and there was a sacrifice provided over in the, over in the thicket and they got it out and sacrificed that in place of it, I think what Abraham knew then and what we see now 
is a little word called typology. Typology in the world of theology, it means that there are types of Christ. There are images of Jesus woven all throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament. And it's, it's, very, it's very profound because what that means is it's not just Jesus showed up on the scene randomly with no other connection. Think about this for a minute. The burning bush. Why is that? When Moses saw the burning bush, why would that be a type of Christ? Because our God is a consuming fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So God is so powerful to be in our presence, yet we're not destroyed in Christ. That's a type. The ram in the thicket was a type of Christ. Even the temple and all the different things that they did were types because they represent the holiness and intricacy and beauty and majesty. And what the Jews are seeing before him that they don't understand is that the fulfillment of what... Their father Abraham, whom they revere almost more than anything, is right before them. It's right in front of their eyes, guys. It'd be like you've been hoping, God, I'm praying for the one, the love of my life, forever, and you meet them and you didn't know. Not only that, you're like, I'm not interested in you. Like, the one they've been waiting for is right there. D.A. Carson says it like this. The fact remains that Jesus identifies the ultimate fulfillment of all Abraham's hopes and joys with his own person and work. Abraham rejoiced in Jesus' day because he saw Christ was the fulfillment of the promise he was given through his offspring, all the nations of the earth, through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. So we move on to verse 57. So, Jesus, so the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? So this is problematic, that's fair. Like, right, like, what if I reference something from, like, 1980? I was born in 91, right? You'd be like, dude, you, you weren't even there. Like, how, how do you know, right? So that's a fair question. Jesus was probably about 30-ish. Verse 58. Here's Jesus' answer. Who is Jesus? Y'all lean into this, because we're about to get the answer. Who is Jesus? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus, like a stinking boss, hit himself and went out of the temple, right? He got out of there. We don't know how he did it, but Jesus is Jesus. He's like, scoot, like he gone, right? Like, I don't know if they had a Jesus over everything else sign, and he like got behind there. I don't know what was going on, but he got out of there. The focus, Cole, that's not the point. Sorry, I got a little distracted there. All right, here's the point I'm trying to make. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. There's some of you, you've never read the Bible before. There's some of you, maybe English isn't your first language. There's some of you that don't care whatsoever. But so let me explain this. Some of you may already know this. So why did he not say, before Abraham was, I was also there, or I also existed, or I saw Abraham? That's a very strange sentence. Like, if, you're, if your English teacher saw you write that sentence, they would fail you, right? Like, does Jesus need to get hooked on phonics? Like, what, what's going on? Like, this, these are real questions. You need to ask this. These are questions that, that critics would say, like, what, what is up with this? They said, Jesus, you're 950 years old. How do you know Abraham? He says, before Abraham was, I am, and this is the whole premise of our series. I am in the Greek is ego, me. I am who I am, or as Matt Chandler, a pastor in uh, Dallas area says, I be who I be. And here's what's amazing. He could have said this with different words, but he used ego, me because, like ego, let go my ego, y'all can say it too, right? Ego, me because it indicates that there was no 
derivation. There was no place where his existence derived, but that he has always been. He is the eternal God. And so that's good, like grammar theology, but he's saying I am. Maybe not all the Jews knew that, but they were pretty lined up to throw stones at him. So there's got to be more. And so here's what I want to show you. Here's another place where we find I am. If you look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 16, Moses is asking God, um, God, you want me to go and tell your people that we're about all these things you're going to deliver us? And I am Moses. I got a speech impediment. Like, who am I going to say sent me? Give me some sort of thing to tell them so I can influence them to go. And here's what God said to him. God said to Moses, tell them that I am has sent you. He said, I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am sent me to you. There's also Isaiah chapter 41, verse four. I, the Lord, am the first and the last. And Isaiah 43, verse 13, from ancient of days, I am he. Every single time when you translate from ancient Hebrew, Aramaic into Greek, it's the same words, ego, me. So guys, get this. Here's what Jesus is saying. I am the great I am. I am the was, I am the one who was and is and is to come. I not only know Abraham, I created Abraham. And that's why they picked up stones to throw at him. Because listen, guys, I don't know where you're at with Jesus, but using a scientific method and just common logic, Jesus to you is either a liar, a lunatic, or a Lord. That's it. That's your only choices. Could have been lying. They thought he was. Stone him. He's a lunatic. Maybe stone him. Don't kill him, but get him out of here, right? He's Lord. That makes it totally different. Okay? Who is Jesus. Jesus is the great I am. He's the one we've been singing about this whole night. He's the one, if his name didn't mean that, we need to return that sign and get our money back. He's the ancient of days. It's the one who holds the keys to eternal life, to never truly die, to, to life everlasting. And so listen, when Jesus claims to be the eternal God and creator of the universe, and that's who the I am was. Again, that's why they were throwing stones at him. Again, so many belief systems say Jesus never claimed to be God. And I'm just like, sorry, you've never read the Bible. He is saying, I am God. But here's the reality, friends. There are some big hindrances in our world and in our culture, within Christianity, within the church, within outside of it. There are hindrances. You can read this. You can know it. You can just examine it. But Jesus is either liar, lunatic, or Lord, and there are hindrances. Whenever they hear Jesus say, I am the I am, some people want to pick up stones. Some people don't care. Some people are indifferent. And some Christians want to pretend that he only has the authority of Abraham, but is not the creator of Abraham. And so here's some hindrances. Here's some thoughts you may have in your head as I examine the room, and I thought about it this week. See, some people may think like this. Say, you see, Cole, I can't believe in an eternal creator God. I can't, because science helps me to see that the, the evidence of the Big Bang is too overwhelming, okay? And so what, what I do in evolutionary science, I, can't, I just can't get there, Cole, and I never will. I can use, actually, rational scientific theory to deduct that God is either illogical or especially un 
necessary. And I would just, I would just tell you, all right, let's, let's sit down, let's have a chat. Hey, you, you wanna be a Christian and claim the, the Big Bang, you wanna claim evolutionary theology? Hey, that's, that's, that's good, I'm not gonna argue that too much, but I would tell you, here's the problem. If we use evolutionary science, what they would say is that death has existed for billions of years. We see organisms dying in fossils, right? Y'all tracking with that? Y'all know, y'all been taught evolution, that things have died and become fossils for, for billions of years. They say the universe is 13.8 to 13.8 billion years. So here's the problem. If you're a Christian, you also have to believe Genesis 1, that in the beginning God created the world. But you also need to believe Genesis 3, where the first sin happened. And the Bible says that death didn't start until sin entered the world. So you have a major conundrum because the biblical narrative says that the earth is anywhere between six, seven, eight thousand years old, being a little flexible with that, between six to eight thousand years old, depending on how you want to date it. Okay, so that's one. Is God's word, for Christians in the room, is God's word God's word? Is it what 2 Timothy 3.16 says it is? Is it holy, inspired? Is it profitable? Is it infallible? Or is it something to be thrown on the shelf next to Darwin's works? That's the decision you have to make. And so then there's also the reality that we have Isaac Newton comes up, discovers the laws of motion. So it's what's interesting. The very exact laws <laughs> that evolutionary scientists, those who hold to the Big Bang, are using to develop their whole entire philosophy. And guess what? Isaac Newton, the homeboy, believed in God. So he would say, wait, no, 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 no. Like, I discovered it. Let me speak for myself. It is still logical and rational. And even more, using something called Occam's razor. It's a philosophical concept within just being and how we came to be and theories of how we came to be. Occam's razor basically says this. We are going to come up with the simplest explanation offered. And so what you do is you don't try to think of the most complicated thing. You try to think of the most simplest. So when you look at all the theories of how we came into being, we're going to go, even if things are similar, with the one that provides the most simplicity. Something that we can spend the most time on looking for evidence and not something that we can't possibly see or test or validate. That's Occam's theory. Occam's razor is often used to disprove Christianity. Now here's the problem. If that's true, we want the simplest explanation. What we know is that life comes from life. Creators create and that everything that you've ever seen with your observable eye, I'm not talking about the theory that you can see the Big Bang with a telescope. No, you can't. Your eye can't see it. That is a lie. Stop believing that. And it's just light. You don't know you weren't there those 13.8 billion years ago. You can't see it. So what I'm saying, looking at the evidence, using an actual theory, trying to disprove Christianity, you can reverse it on itself and say, listen, the theory of God creating the world is much simpler than expanding explosive light and stardust, creating babies that already have a heart and lungs and things well before they're ever born. Like that just doesn't make sense. And so here's the deal. It takes a lot more faith to be an atheist than a Christian. Hands down, period. I listened to a debate last night with Bill Nye, who was a really sharp guy. Bill Nye, the science guy. Yeah, gotta love Bill Nye, did lots of great things. But the guy debating him named Ken Ham, he kept coming back to that. He said, you need just as much faith as I do, maybe more. And you know what? You get a chance to rebut that, to argue it back. That was the only point that Bill and I didn't argue back because he knew he was right. Friends, he knew he was right. To an extent, everything does come down to faith. It does. It's just, where is your faith based do you have actual evidence for it? At the very least, I don't know where you are in this room. If you're Christians, you have people you're talking about this a lot, please listen in, please lean in. This is how I would respond. 
exactly everything that I just said. At the very least, you have to admit that you can't say to believe in Christianity is illogical or unreasonable or unnecessary because then we have men like Blaise Pascal, a French philosopher, theologian, mathematician, and physicist who coined Pascal's wager, which is this. Pascal argues that a rational person should live as though God exists and seek to believe in God if God does not actually exist. Here's the thing. If God doesn't actually exist, such a person will have only a finite loss, maybe some pleasures and luxury. Maybe you gave 10% to, to a church. Okay, big deal. He says this. Whereas if God does exist, he stands to receive infinite gains as presented by eternity in heaven, i.e. the one who says, keep my word and you will not experience death. And then avoid infinite loss, which is eternity and hell. So here we are, one of the finest mathematicians and physicists that existed on the earth that says, no, it's very reasonable. He says, actually, I'm gonna use this, this wager, Pascal's wager, and demonstrate to you that an intellectual person who's actually thought it through and listened to the claims of Jesus would say, I need to at least consider this guy. Y'all still with me? That's a lot. A lot of homework. I just can't believe what I can't see. You know what? Jesus' disciple Thomas said the same thing. He said, I'm not gonna believe unless I touch Thomas's, or sorry, Thomas said, I'm not gonna believe in Jesus unless I touch his side, his resurrected body, touch his scars. It sounds kind of weird, but it was purposeful. And so Thomas does, he sees him, he touches him, I believe! And Jesus says, hey, that's great, but blessed are the ones who do not see and yet believe, Right? Here's the deal, friends. You believe in so many things that you can't see every day. You believe in love. You believe in emotions. Some people think it's just brain fissures. I mean, you can go with that, but I don't see brain fissures compelling someone to, to get on a knee and have all the extravagant songs being sung as they propose, all right? I'm just saying, all right? You believe in things every day that you can't see. That's not a valid argument. But even if it was, okay. You wanna believe in what you can't see? I can't see anything from 13.7 billion years ago, but we can examine the evidence that 2,000 years ago there was a man by the name of Jesus Christ who did live here that people saw and knew. There's a physical evidence. Believe in what you can see, the Jesus Christ of the Bible. So here's, here's where I'm gonna switch. Funny Christians in this room, I'm no stranger to that fact. And I love that. And some of you at this point are like, okay, what, what do you have for me? All right, so here's the deal. I was thinking about it. It's very interesting. Some of us follow Jesus, but he is functionally not our great I am. We've made a decision formally in our life, but he's not our great I am. And so just, just like Abraham, friends, we have to see Jesus as more than giving us something, right? As more than giving us some material thing. Oh, God, bless me. no. Abraham, apparently, through Jesus' word, saw that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. He saw Jesus as the full promise of all that God had given him. So check this out. It means that when some of you say, just honestly, listen, I love my Jesus, but I just want to be happy. I just want a happy life. Jesus says, I am happiness and joy personified. There's some of you that say, I just want purpose in life. And Jesus says, I am your greatest pleasure 
and purpose. And there's some of you, you, you want to know, you just want to have peace. You're, you're driven by anxiety and mental illness. You've been going to counseling for years and taking all kinds of medicine to aid that. And that's, that's really a good thing. I love where medicine and God come together into those spaces. But even in a spiritual sense, you have so much unrest. You say, I just want peace. And Jesus says, I am the prince of peace. Amen? When you are asking and saying, I just don't know why I'm on this earth, Jesus says, I am why you're here. Now listen, even more, some of you are asking, you're saying, who, who am I? Like, why do I exist? You look at your life, maybe gone through various forms of suffering. Maybe life hasn't gone who you are. Maybe you just think you're an all-out loser. Maybe you, you wish that people maybe think you're up here, but honestly, you feel this low. You feel like you're worth nothing. Maybe even some people in the room, you've considered taking your life. Who am I? What do I amount to that makes it worth me breathing another breath? And you know what Jesus says to that? Here, yo, yo, if you get anything out of this sermon, scratch everything else and listen in. Who are you? Jesus wants you to know this truth. He wants you to believe in him, that he died for your sins. Some of you don't think you're a sinner, but just please think logically for a minute. You are. You've lied. You've stilled. you said things that are not true. You've probably disrespected other people and slandered. Like, let's, we can go on and on. We're all sinners. We all need God's grace. And he wants you to recognize that. It separated you from God. That's why internally you're so miserable. And then what else it means, what Jesus wants you to do, is see that he died for those sins as a perfect sacrifice. It was him. He died for for you, us, worthless people, enemies of Christ. We were running away from him as far as we could. And that's the place, friends, where he got you and he reached, he's reaching out to you and he's begging you through his word, come to me. I want to save your life. I want to be every, over everything else, just like that sign says. And so you're like, why am I here? Who am I? Jesus wants to create a new reality for you. He wants to save you. He wants to reconcile you to God the Father to make you sons and daughters of God. And so the next time, friends, when you do that, y'all listen in. The next time you ask, who am I? He wants you to say, I am who I am, says I am. Some of you guys are, are struggling. I want you to know my heart. I know the, the temptations of college. I could care less about the dumb stuff you've done and maybe are going to do. I would wish you not. But the foundation of every sin, of every dumb thing you do, of every relationship you get in that you shouldn't, of every drink you consume underage or too many overage, of age, of whatever you decide to do with your life, at the core of it is, I am something else. That's it. So I care about sin. I don't want you to live in sin. But I know the root of it. You don't believe Jesus is greater than everything else. In every moment of temptation, you say, this is greater than him. And the great I am tonight, students, friends, is saying to you, not good luck, you've ruined it. But we see in the Gospel of Matthew, him saying with arms open wide, come to me, all of you, sinners in need of rest put together the rest of the pieces. He said, I'm gonna save you. You're, you're a mess. You don't get to continue living like that because after I save you, I send you as someone with my name on them. And you're gonna go tell others about how great this news is, how amazing it is. So as we're wrapping up, I'm gonna ask the band to come up.
Friends, here, here's the thing. I know this every time I struggle when we get kind of apologetics realm, defending your faith. Here's the deal, like, we could, we could go for hours, and y'all know me, if you've been here a while, Cole can go for hours, all right, but we're not tonight. Listen, for life's ultimate questions and answers, the things that you're seeking the most that, that move you and drive you, any question you're asking, Jesus is the answer. And any doubt you have, he is the resolution to that doubt. Anything you're seeking in this life, listen, Jesus not only fulfills it like, oh, thank you, I think that's enough. He goes above and beyond. He is the perfection of all that you're seeking. Some of you want love. He says, I am love. God is love. I'm the author of it. And guess what? I'm the best source of it. I give the best love. And I also, because I'm Lord and King and the great I am, get to tell you how love works. It's beautiful. It's amazing. And so listen, all this has been good knowledge to, to have and attain. You can walk away and be like, sweet, God, I know what ego in me means. Like just let go of my ego, all right? I got, I got it, all right? All of this has been good to know, but none of it matters unless you heed the condition of what Jesus said in verse 51. Truly, truly. In other words, ultimately, I'm gonna say true multiple times. It's called a superlative. I'm gonna emphasize over and over, truly, 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 truly. I'm telling you this. You gotta hear this. Truly, truly. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And what do I need to do to keep his word? It's what I told you earlier. To believe in him. To trade anything else you've been living for. Don't just put it on the table Throw it in the trash and, and come to him to keep his word, to live a life of obeying him, that your life now gets to revolve around him. That's how he changes your life. If you don't let him be at the center, it's not transformative. That's where a lot of you have been. That's why you don't experience joy. Jesus gets center stage. Who is Jesus? Oh, friends, don't miss it. You know now what the I am means. Jesus is the great I am. The one whose name is above every other name knows every single one of your names in this room. Do you know that? That's true. He knows every single one of your names. The one who was and is and is to come before he comes back is asking you now to come and follow him, to never taste death, to find true everlasting life in him. Friends, I'd ask you, if you can't truly say the words Jesus longs for you to say with utmost confidence, I am who I am, says I am. Will you allow him to change that tonight? It's a big question. That may demand a total pivot of your life. It may mess up a lot of things that you thought life was about. Would you allow him by, a, by a, a yes to change your life forever? The one who can offer the best thing that could ever happen to you, the eternal God, the I am, the one who is I be who I be, has arms open wide for you. And I'm asking you, friends, what could you possibly be waiting for? Come to him. So with heads bow, if you could just bow your heads. We're not gonna ask anyone to come up. Don't worry about, about that. If we kind of drop the lights down low, fellas, just for some privacy. I want to do something we don't do a lot, but I would be remiss 
we didn't. Listen, I think there's some of you in this room that you honestly have thought things about Jesus that have kept you distant. You would say absolutely you're not a Christian, but maybe tonight, maybe your interest has been piqued because you see, if there's someone who calls himself that, I at least wanna know more about him to make my decision. But everyone, please, for the sake of privacy and just kindness and of others, if that's you, if your curiosity was in peak tonight, would you just look up real quickly so I can make eye contact with you and just pray with you right now? Praise God. Praise God. Thank you. All right, you can, you can bow your head again. Okay. Um, so I, I, I have a suspicion. I have no magic. I can't make God move. I can't do anything with my words if he doesn't want to move. So I would just ask you, if you tonight for the very first time would like to make Jesus your great I am and believe in him, turn away from your past life, throw it all in the trash and say I'm all in on Jesus, I believe in you. Would you just give me a quick look so I can know that and be praying for you? Just say I'm all in on Jesus. And bow your head, friends. Christians in the room, if you would admit You've gotten a little off course. <laughs> your thoughts, your, your heart's affections and your mind's attention have absolutely nothing to do with Jesus. And you hear that the great I am who has the power really to do anything with sinners actually chooses to save us and redeem us and draw us back in like the prodigal son that we can be. And you're saying, hey, I need to return back to Jesus. I need to allow him to take his center stage place in my life. Would you just give me a quick look so I can know how to pray for you? That's you, Christians in the room. Praise God. Praise God, thank you so much. Thank you for letting me know. I'm praying for you by name right now. Praise God. The heads continue to bow. A bolder ask, and this is up to you, is that you might allow someone to pray for you and talk with you these things and let them in. You don't have to look, but over to your left, there's our Jesus over everything else banner. We're gonna use that this year because that, when you go over there, and you can be saying that when you've been a Christian for 20 years, kind of like I have, or someone who's for the very first time is saying Jesus is everything else. And there are gonna be people every week to pray for you. You're like, what if people think my life is messed up? Guys, we're all messed up. We all need Jesus. <laughs> we all need prayer. So if you lifted up your head tonight or God's moving you, maybe you didn't, my invitation to respond is just, man, maybe allow someone to, over there to pray for you. Our staff is over there. They'd love to, to get to talk with you. I'm gonna give you about 30 more seconds just to respond and wrestle with what God's speaking to you and the band's gonna lead us. We hope you are encouraged by today's podcast. If you'd like to learn more about The Journey, check us out on Instagram or Facebook at The Journey LBK. Thanks for listening.